0: Canto 27 begins with the flame of Ulysses, who we've been speaking to in Canto 26. Standing still, it carries an air of dignity, I think, rather than the sort of flickering torture of many of the flames that they see. This one can hold itself. I wonder whether this indicates it's beginning to understand itself. As I'd suggested, I wonder whether Ulysses is in the best place now, in fact and there's indications of hope for him. It certainly seems to contrast with what happens next, because if Ulysses had learnt that his desire, his cunning, his knowledge, his drive, had undone him in life, because he'd used it to pursue his own knowledge blindly, without understanding the nature of the descent, without understanding the nature of the new consciousness, which we discussed. Now we have a move from dignity, really to ugliness and bitterness. And it's a move also from the ancient world to Dante's contemporary era. And I think also our times by implication as well. It begins with the truly ghastly image of the so-called Sicilian bull. This was a contraption requested by the despotic ruler of Sicily called Phalaris. And he asked the um, blacksmith Perilus to make him a torture instrument out of bronze. It was cast in the shape of a bull, and when the victim was put in and the fire beneath the bull was heated up, it converted their screams of agony into the seeming sound of the bellowing bull. Now, when this was first presented to the despot, um, he decided that its maker could try it out, and so put Perilous in. And so it's a horrible sort of image of how despot and cunning come together to truly uh, pervert the world. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it makes you wonder about technology uh, more generally, and how when it too becomes uncoupled from good when it becomes uncoupled from, from the nature from whence it came, um, when it's not guided by desires that long for the divine good, but instead just want for human betterment. How technology can so easily um, lead down this direction, because you have the means, you put it to twisted ends. Um, now, 700 years on, really little more needs to be said about that. Um, you just think of everything from nuclear weapons to cluster bombs um, to other mechanisms of torture now so it begins with this sense of cruelty cunning ugliness really and it's going to be added added to that will be the the theme of bitterness that runs throughout this canto taking us a long long way now into the contemporary period of Dante away from the almost honour of Ulysses, got the image of the flame torturing the victim of the Sicilian bull, and we're looking now into the bolgia again with all these tortured flames trapping their souls inside them, and a new one approaches even as the flame of Ulysses moves off. This new flame has heard Virgil speaking, hears the Italian language, and approaches them both desperate to speak and it sets up an immediate question you know why is this flame so keen to speak to people that it hears speaking the dialect of Lombardy Um, it wants to know something and it makes you ask you know what is this soul's trapment what's keeping it both in hell and inside its own genius inside its own flame that's become a torture chamber rather than enabling it to rise to the heavens And Dante speaks to the flame this time. Virgil says, you have the Italian, you speak to this flame. I think this is the way that Virgil's saying to Dante, look, maybe you're better positioned to speak to this contemporary figure, much as I was in a better position to speak to the ancient figure of Ulysses. And what Dante explains to the new flame, before the new flame is named, in fact, the flame's not named throughout the canto, but with the history that Dante is now about to um, offer to the Flame, Um, commentators uh, work out who it is. What Dante um, offers to the Flame is quite a detailed account of the Italian Civil War and how various towns and city-states had fallen, it says, in and out of freedom and tyranny, um, how they'd switched sides. Um, It's the intricacies and the details of this terrible time It's what the flame wants to hear. And Dante realises that that's what the flame wants to hear. So after going through all these details, um, which you can track in the text um, with a commentary, um, unpacking the twists and turns of the war in the 13th century, Dante says to the flame, look, tell me who you are, because I um, am a living soul. I can remember you in the world. And at that point, um, the flame... uh, falls into new writhing and twisting um, and then launches what um, Dante the Poet calls a blast of words at Dante the Pilgrim. Um, The flame fears being dishonoured by being remembered in the world above and by the world above knowing that it's ended up in hell. But that dishonour is eclipsed by its own overconfident knowledge because what the flame says to Dante is, I would worry that I would be dishonoured if you return to the land of the living but I know no one returns from this place of hell to the land of the living so we're getting a picture of um, what traps this flame down here um, on the one hand he's still completely preoccupied with the ins and outs of the Italian wars and on the other hand he's supremely confident of his own knowledge even in this new realm that he finds himself trapped in and with any kind of wisdom at all would recognise He's he's completely out of his control. Um, But his cunning, his his knowledge, um, his confidence um, keeps him here. Um, And it turns out that he is a character called Guido um, da Montefeltro. He was a Ghibelline captain, generally speaking hugely successful in the Italian wars. And his story is that towards the end of his life, he um, stopped being a man of arms, as he puts it, And became a man of the cord. He became a friar. This was a sort of gesture of repentance. Um, But the way it's told. The way the flame can't help but tell it. You have this sense that this is a kind of mechanical repentance. um, That it was as it were, what a soldier might do, thinking, well, you know, I quite enjoyed the soldiery, but just to secure um, my place in heaven afterwards, I'll now make a gesture of repentance. I'll become a monk for the last year or two of my life. And it's that fraudulence, that um, treating the divine ways mechanically as if actually he understands them, he's in control of them, that has ended up putting Guido in hell now. Now, that would be enough to compromise the journey of his soul in the afterlife, because as we're beginning to gather, and as we'll become more and more clear when we enter in the ascent, it's the organ of the heart, um, the truth of desire, um, the genuine longing, which enables the soul to move through purgatory and into paradise. Um, Guido has cut himself off from that already, so it seems. In fact, he remarks, you know, my cunning would have worked but were it not for this new element in his story which is that what happened was after he'd become a friar a pope approached him and it's Dante's most loathsome pope Boniface Eighth, and Boniface asked um, Guido to come out of um, the friary in order to help him defeat some new enemy to use his cunning um, to the pope's worldly ends And what the Pope promises him is that he can offer repentance for any sin that that might imply ahead of time. um, So he can still be guaranteed his place in paradise. You know, so too, um, an already cut off heart um, is now added a kind of mechanical grace. And in the story, um, Guido does this thing, which we'd seen right from the get-go, actually, when we entered the Inferno. Um, You'll remember that Francesca um, blamed her lover Um, for seducing her. Well, Guido now blames the Pope for seducing him um, into this false offer of repentance. Um, The Pope says, I control the two keys. Um, That's the keys to bind on earth and the key to bind in heaven. Um, Boniface himself is um, completely entrapped by his mechanical sense of the divine grace that he thinks is in his control as well. Um, It's terrible tangled picture of what can happen in churches when um, the high priests the leaders and think that they understand the ways of God thinks that moreover the ways of God um, are shaped by them themselves Um, it easily happens it happened then it happens now and similarly the repentant figure um, this little sort of sense of well you know if I can sin now and repent later and when that creeps in and the soul is in peril too, because it's disconnected from the heart, from the genuine longing from God. You know, you can make all the mistakes you like in life, and this canto is sort of implying, but if you cut yourself off from your heart's desire, that's when the trouble really starts. I think there's another really deep, penetrating critique of the church implied in this canto too, because if the Pope had tried to lead Guido, but of course in this false way, Promising to forgive the sins that he hadn't even committed. It's going to turn out that Dante isn't led by, well, certainly not Boniface VIII, but actually not really by any Pope, any church at all, because when it comes to entering paradise, he is of course going to be led by Beatrice. Now that is going to completely shake things up um, by any standard of Christianity. In fact, I think now as much as then. But anyway, we'll return to that. Um, to continue the story of Guido, he does indeed return to the Pope's service, um, but then when he dies, in his moment of death, um, his sort of final confusion is played out, because he says to Dante, um, now in hell, he says, um, as I died, I saw Francis coming for me, Saint Francis, remember that he'd become a friar, but I think this is his last final delusion, Because, of course, Francis, as a saint, knows and is completely aligned with the ways of God. His heart is completely fixed um, on um, divine ways. Um, So I think that the way to understand this is that Guido sort of saw what he thought he should see, much as he saw what he wanted to see in life. He thought he saw Francis coming for him. And then the last minute, he says, I realised it was a fallen angel. It was a cherubim. They're the angels of knowledge. And this angel used um, the very cunning that Guido the fox, as he was called, um, that Guido had used in life against him now and says, don't you realise, Guido, if you will one thing and repent of another, that is a fundamental paradox. The logic does not stand up. Um, You've got to will it with all your heart, not, as it were, fool, almost defraud yourself um, in your decisions and your will becoming separate. Um, and so this fallen angel, this fallen cherubim, snatches Guido. Guido describes being carried to Minos, do you remember earlier in Hell, who wraps his tail around himself with a number of wraps representing the circle of Hell. It turns out that Minos wraps himself up eight times with his tail, then bites his tail in rage, and Guido is indeed hurled down to Malabolje, the eighth circle now in this particular bolgia of Malabolge. It's this double insight of the descent that Dante is getting perhaps more clearly now than at any other time, which is that what you cultivate in life in the depths of your soul determines, I think, not just where you get sent after death, but what you're capable of experiencing after death. And Guido is shown, still full of bitterness and resentment, trusting his own supposed wisdom thinking he can manipulate things to his own advantage um, he's he's trapped by his own genius his own brilliance inside this sort of shining flame now down in hell and the canto ends with a profound sense that dante is taking this in because it uh, it ends with an image of the flame um, of guido moving off writhing um full of its own self-torture um in distinct contrast to Ulysses's dignity at the beginning of the canto, Guido clearly um, is not learning a thing. Um, and uh, quite appropriately, really, for Dante, the pilgrim and Virgil, um, the canto ends with them walking off in silence towards the next bulger.